We are starting a new series today, as you've already heard, called The Heart of the Matter. And before I get into too much detail about what we're going to be talking about, I want us to play a quick game. Okay, so I'm going to show you a couple of pictures on the screen, and this is how the game is going to work. If you really wish you could take that one thing to heaven with you, you're going to raise your hand. If you're watching online, we can't see it if you raise your hand. So this is how you're going to play. You're going to get onto the chat box, and then if you see something that you would like, that you wish could go to heaven with you, you're just going to type that word in. So you might be like a car or ice cream, whatever it might be. So let's play the game quickly. The first couple of things that you might wish, and I think this is mostly for the men, that you wish you could take to heaven with you. A classic Mustang. Oh yeah, there's a couple of guys here. A motorbike. I know of at least one. Or a Ford Bronco, the new one. I think that's a pretty cool car, and I, you can... Like, I can, I can do some 4 by 4 in heaven, right? Okay, some of you still didn't have your hand up, so let's see the next slide. What about that one? If you have no idea what it is on the screen, you're too old. <clears throat> a new Xbox. A play... Oh, uh, yeah, I see some hands. A PlayStation 5. Oh, same hands. Or a Nintendo Switch. Same hands. I figured that's mostly the young guys. What about that? Now, if your hands aren't going up now, I'm really worried about you. Because I once had a dream that I cannot even like, explain about heaven, and this is how heaven worked. It had a beautiful shop where you could buy anything you wanted, but this is how it worked. The moment that you wanted something, like say that computer, the price was say 5,000 pieces of meat. So, but you didn't pay it, you got it. So you would get the computer plus the meat, and then you have to do something with this meat before you could go back. So I was so creative, like I fed it to the dogs, like that, all kinds of things. It was my crazy heaven dream. But some coffee in heaven, some donuts, steak, that might be good. Now, the ladies, if you felt like I left you out, like what about the new Dyson V15? Yulandi has this rule that we're not allowed to give her any household objects for a birthday or Christmas, except if it's a battery-powered vacuum cleaner. Because when she was little, her grandmother gave her a box, that on this, and it was a box to a little handheld battery-operated vacuum cleaner, and she was so excited. I don't know what child gets excited about it, but she was excited about that, and when she opened it, there was a teddy bear or something inside, and that disappointed her. So that's the only practical thing you're allowed to give her. So maybe some of the ladies are like, yes, I'll clean the golden streets of heaven with that thing. If you're like me, I like cooking that at the top. That's not just any chef knives. That's the knives I will have one day when I'm big. It's a Victorinox set of chef knives or some La Crusade pots. Or maybe you wish you could take your house with you because you just remodeled and it looks so good. No one's hands has gone up. What about this slide? What about some family or friends? Maybe some of you wish you could take your pets with you. By the way, there's no birds in there because birds don't go to heaven. <clears throat> I've got a personal issue with birds. I had a parrot that one day made it his life mission to destroy me. That's a story for a different time. So there's no birds on that picture. Okay. Okay, guys, that was some fun and games, but <clears throat> why this? The irony about all of this is we can't take anything with us to the life after this. 
The Bible is very clear that once we die on earth, it is not the end, but there's two options that will continue after this life. Whether you believe in it or not doesn't matter. That's just the reality that Jesus spoke about. And one is heaven, eternal life with Jesus in a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, where we live in eternal life, um, eternal light, the light of Jesus. On the other hand side, we've got hell, a pain of eternal, a place of eternal pain and suffering, a place void of the presence of God. But no matter where you're going, we can't take any of these things with us, except maybe for that last slide, because to a certain extent, we can take our family and friends with us, right? Because if we introduce people to Jesus and they meet Jesus, what does the Bible tell us? That we have a free gift of grace, that we have access to eternal life with Jesus, that we are children of God, not because of what we've done, what we do, but because of our faith in Him. So that's the only thing we can take to heaven with us, kind of, is the souls of other people. But there's nothing we can take with us of any physical stuff we own. And what is sad to me is that although we know this, we often live like the ancient Babylonians or the ancient Egyptians or the ancient Greeks who would have these huge burials where they would put all of the stuff they might have needed in the afterlife, money and weapons or even a terracotta army, whatever it might be, in the graves with them so that once they passed over to whatever they believed in, that the stuff will be there. But guess what? It's not there. It's still here. So we can't take any of it with us, but still we live as if the stuff we have on earth is the most important thing we can ever have. We give our everything to accumulate more stuff. And that is why we're starting this new series called The Heart of the Matter. Because money and stuff, whatever that might be, is not necessarily good or bad. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. By the way, we're going to read this in a couple of weeks. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. See, stuff is not good or bad. The chair you're sitting on is not good or bad. It's just a chair. But it's the way that our heart looks at the things we own, own that makes it good, that could make it good or bad. So for the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at our heart attitude towards money, towards physical um, stuff, even maybe to something like your gifts or your time or your talents, whatever it might be. Because if we have a wrong understanding, if we have a wrong view of the things we, we owe here on earth, own on earth, it will lead to all kinds of unhealthy behavior. And we've spoken about them, right? We've spoken about the effects of consumerism and individualism on us. We've seen the effects with youth and social media where it's all about wanting whatever is portrayed on this and it leads to a rising number of suicides. The numbers are rising for depression um, in teenagers because we have an unhealthy view of stuff. So for the next couple of weeks, we'll be learning and we'll be seeing how the Bible redirects our lives to have a healthy understanding of money and stuff. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to Luke 16. We're going to be reading a parable today. Um, a while ago, before I was here, we did a series on the parables. Now, parable is a story that Jesus told to explain a deeper spiritual truth. So it's a story with a spiritual meaning. And we'll be reading it from Luke 16. If you don't have a Bible, get one on your phone, install it on your phone. Um, but 
get one. And we're going to be reading through a couple of verses. It's a longer piece than I normally read. But this is quite a complicated parable. It's not a parable that you will often hear preached in a church. But it is something that was on my heart so extensively that I just knew like I believe this is what God wanted us to read today. So let's read Luke, 5, Luke 16 from verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, this is the parable, the story with the spiritual meaning. Here it goes. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg, I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into, my, into their houses. So this guy is about to lose his job, but he is crazy smart sneaky. Okay, here is plan. He calls in each of the master's debtors. He asks the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 liters of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 1,500 liters. The amount that he's just written off is equal to a, to a large sum of money. So he knew this guy's indebted to him. He just trapped him. Now he's part of this dishonest system, right? Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 30 tons of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 24 tons. By the way, that small dip is worth more than that half the 50% of olive oil that he just written off. So now he's suddenly including people in his scheme, and with each one he's making sure that if he doesn't have a house, for at least a year he would have a house in one, at one of these debtors' houses to stay in. But now this is the weird part in verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Jesus says. So now Jesus switches and he starts to explain the parable. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and they were sneering at Jesus and he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. And what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. That's all we're going to read today. We read about a manager in charge of a rich man's possessions, but he is a horrible manager. He doesn't do what you would expect a manager to do. He's dishonest, he he manages the stuff really badly, and at the end of the day, he doesn't just get away with it, but he is kept accountable for what went wrong. Can we get some lights on the balcony, please? 
He is kept accountable. And Jesus uses this parable, this story, as a teaching moment to teach the disciples something about the right way, the role and the responsibility that we have with regards to everything we own. So today, our first topic in our series, The Heart of the Matter, our topic today is, whose is it anyway? Whose is it anyway? Now we read about this manager, right? A man who manages someone else as well. So the first thing I want to ask you is, when you think about this, how many things do you have to manage each day? What things are you a manager of? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you're like, that's easy. I'm a manager at work, so I have to manage staff, and I have to manage a budget, and I do all kinds of stuff like that. But what about your children, like their schedule, your family schedule. What about your budget? That's all stuff we have to manage. And then when the snow starts falling now, suddenly I have to manage my schedule to fit in snow shoveling, right? I was told, don't call it snow shoveling, just shoveling. I'm like, but what if I shovel some dirt? They're like, no, everyone knows it's snow. Like, okay, not me. <clears throat> but um, we have to fit that in. We have to manage that. We have to manage our car when it needs to get serviced, when we need to rotate the tires. We have so many things to manage. And in order for us to truly understand what God is calling us to manage, I first want to dig a little deeper into the specific term that is used for this manager, for this man. We just translate it as a manager. But the man in the story is a manager, and the question is a manager of what? What is he a manager of? Now, the Greek word that we read about there is oikonomos, and it comes from two Greek words, oikos, which means house or household, and nomos, which means a steward or a manager. So we know that this guy is not just a random manager, but he's a steward as you would see in the old movies, when there was an opening on the throne in the royalty, they would have a steward that would temporarily run the kingdom until the new king is old enough to rule, right? So this person would be a steward of a household. And we know from history that most of the time this was a slave. And in Hebrew culture, after seven years, they would have their freedom. That was now a free man, but that has earned the trust of his master. So now this free man that used to be a slave would run the household. And if we say run, I mean like he would do the finances. If you go and read the story of Joseph in Potiphar's house, it's the same thing. He would take care of the children and of their needs, of everything that needed to happen in that household, the management of the land, everything you can imagine that had to be run in that family, he would do it for you. Now everyone's like, I need a household steward, right? Wikipedia says stewardship is an ethic that embodies the responsible planning and management of resources. So a steward is more than just a manager. Merriam-Webster's dictionary says a steward, stewardship is about the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. So when I ask you, like, what are you managing? What is this about? What is stewardship about when we talk about it? It is like, is it about my work, maybe? Because I'm guessing, like, this was, like, his work. Is it about um, money? Like, what is stewardship about? Stewardship is about all of that, but it's also about so much more. It is about everything we own. 
Hear what Colossians 1 verse 15 to 16 says. The Son, that is Jesus himself, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. So we're not just talking about physical stuff like the floor we're standing on or trees, even powers of people. All things have been here this created through him and for him. So we read that everything that exists around us was not just created through God, through Jesus himself, but it was created for him. He is both the designer and the owner of everything around us. And it's easy to think when we read something like this, okay, God is talking, the Bible is talking about creation, right? Because God spoke and creation came into being. So we must be talking about resources in the ground or about the trees or about stuff like that, but not about human stuff. Like what about cars and spaceships and bank accounts and things like that? That's all made by human hands. So that can't be stuff that belongs to God. That belongs to me because it's made by human hands and I acquired it, right? But John 1 verse 3 says this, through him all things were made. And hear this now. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. There is nothing in this world that was created by human hands that didn't come from God. Because the intellect, the reason, the ability to do science and math, creativity, all of that is a gift from God that enables us as human beings to create things. So this building, the chair you're sitting on, God didn't form that by speaking as he did in the beginning with the earth, but he formed people and he gave them the ability to create something like this. So still everything was created through Christ for him. He's still the designer and the owner. And maybe you're like, but what if it's something that's not made? What if it's something that's intangible? And what if through that intangible thing I gain something? Does that still belong to God? Deuteronomy 8 verse 17 to 18 says, You may say to yourself, it's almost as if God understands our hearts, right? My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. God, you didn't make that. This is me. And then it says in verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So a couple of scriptures in the Bible that comes down to the same thing. Everything we own was made through Jesus and for Jesus. This Greek word, um, oikonomon, also occurs in 1 Corinthians 4 and in Titus 1 verse 7 when we read about elders where it says an elder needs to be a good steward of God's household. So suddenly we're not just talking about physical stuff, but we're talking about managing the spiritual responsibility that God has given us. We read about it in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, that same Greek word, when he talks about you and me as Christians that have received the Holy Spirit and a gift by the Holy Spirit, it talks about how if we use our gifts for the good of our brothers and sisters, then we are good stewards of God's grace. 
So suddenly, when we are talking about stewardship, who owns it anyway, we are not just talking about material stuff like money, your house, the tree outside, the mountains, the ocean, your car, your bank account. We're not just talking about physical stuff that all of that belongs to God, but we are also talking about things that we cannot necessarily touch, like your time, like your creativity, your strength, your intelligence, your power. So when the Bible, when Jesus uses the story to illustrate something about stewardship, when the Bible talks about stewardship, don't think about stewardship as we often hear about it in churches, that it's about my money. Because stewardship goes so much further than our money. And if we have a wrong understanding, we will start to believe that we can live our life whatever way we want as long as we give our money that's required to the church. But being a Christian means that I understand that nothing that I own, none of my abilities is mine. It is God who lends it to me. So as a steward, you are called to carefully and responsibly manage everything that is entrusted to your care. And if you're still having a hard time with this and you're like, Lee, like, well, what, what falls under this? How can you say that the stuff I own is not mine? It's this simple. It's temporary. If you think about your earthly life and you think about a house, you buy the house and that's yours for life, right? But if you go to your neighbor and you ask him if he can use his lawnmower to cut your grass, that's temporary. So it's not yours. So now let's put life into perspective. If we can think of eternity as a, as a long rope that, is, that spans this room from the one side to the other, if we could take a piece of string and just wrap it around this one point, that is life on earth compared to eternity. So even when we talk about something like your house, suddenly it is not mine because it's not permanent. All of it is temporary. The Bible says even our bodies are not a permanent dwelling, but a temporary tent. So if you want to figure out what's yours and what's not yours, anything that doesn't outlast you, anything that's gone when you die, it's temporary and it's not yours. See, Jesus was teaching his disciples about good and about bad stewardship. Because you can be a bad steward. Stewardship doesn't just mean good. It's supposed to mean good, careful and responsible management. But you can be a bad steward as well. And this guy that we read about was a really bad steward. And not only is he bad, but once he gets caught out for it, guess what he does? He gets even more dishonest. But then the craziest thing happens. In verse 8, the rich man goes to him. And instead of taking him to jail, instead of telling him how bad of a manager he is, he commends him for it. I'm like, what on earth is that? Does it mean I can be a dishonest steward? Here's what it's about. This man, when he faced opposition, he didn't retreat but he into passivity, but he did the opposite. He goes and he does everything he can to provide for his future by using everything that's entrusted to him. 
You see, for in this point of time, this money that was entrusted to him by his owner, this ability to control how much people had to repay, he knows this is temporary. So instead of sitting back and doing nothing, he does everything in his power to make sure that he's got a good future. He uses what has been entrusted to him 100% to craft the future for him. But then we read, and it is kind of explained, where this is the shrewdness of the world. God is like, why doesn't Christians use every opportunity that I have given them? Why don't they go at it 100% to carve out a beautiful future, not just for themselves, but for this world that needs me? You see, if Christians would just use what has been entrusted to us in a similar way, the world would be a different place. If we as Christians give as much attention to things that concern our souls and eternity as we do to things that concern everyday business and just being, our world would be a different place. But the sad reality that just as the world we spend 10% or 10 times or 20 times or 30 times or 50 times the amount of time and money and effort on pleasure and hobbies and my garden and my car and sport and all of those pictures that we saw at the beginning as we do on our faith. This is what this parable is about. It doesn't say that this, this honest man is in good standing. He was still fired from his job. He still had to give an account for his dishonesty. But what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples is that we should show as much prudence in spiritual matters as that manager did in his temporal matter. So what I want to do is I want to look at three hard things that needs to change in order to be a good steward. But also three hard things that change is once we really understand that whose is all of this that I have? It's not mine, it's God's, and I am a steward of everything he has entrusted me. Three things that we read about when Jesus starts to explain this parable. And the first is verse 10 to 12. We read that, um, no, sorry, the first is in verse 9, where Jesus tells us something weird. It sounds a little weird. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends. It's like, should I buy my friends? So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. That sounds so weird. But you see, verse 9 is not about money. It is not about buying friends. But it is about what we do with our money. You see, because when everything is mine, when I own everything, I tend to hold it really tightly. I tend to be stingy. I don't want to let it go. I don't want my stuff to help other people necessarily. But once I realize that it is His, I can start using it for His purposes. I can start using my wealth, not selfishly, but unselfishly to make life easier, not just for me, but to change the lives of the people around me, to impact the lives of the poor, of the widows, of the orphans, to make a difference in my friend's life that might be struggling, to build into something that will outlast me. And the only thing that will outlast us is the church of Jesus Christ. 
See, we can use our wealth selfishly, but stewardship sets our hearts free from selfishness and guides us to use our resources in unselfish ways. Because it's easy to give away what's not mine, right? It's hard to give away my own stuff. And that's what biblical stewardship does. It teaches me that I can use what God has entrusted to me for His purpose. I don't have to hold on to it too tightly. But the second thing that we read about is in verse 10 to 12. Where Jesus talks about this, and, and this is probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible that even secular people quote, if you have been faithful with little, you can be trusted with much. And then it, uses, it gives us a couple of examples. But what is interesting here, again, the focus is not on money and stuff. The focus here is on what? On character. I had a mentor that once taught, taught us about, um, about staff and managing staff. He's, he leads a really big church with over 200 staff members. And he said, when I appoint someone, I start them low. Not like unreasonably low on the salary scale, like fear. But I don't try to recruit them by giving them a ridiculously high salary. I start them at the bottom of what is fair. And he said, why? He said, because someone with a character, someone who will really work, who will give his best to this ministry, will do it whether they earn little or whether they earn much. But he said, someone that, that will come just for the money, no matter what amount you pay them, they will never give their best. So he said, I'd rather start them low, and then I can reward the guys with the character. And the guys without the character, they will fall away because they will go somewhere where they can earn more. And I was like, that is, that is a very interesting thought process. But I have seen that true be true over time because what I've realized and what God is telling us here is that character is not determined by external things such as reward. That doesn't determine your character. Character doesn't give attention to matters based on the potential reward. Character says, what do I have and how can I be faithful with this? Because if we want to be trusted with eternity, we need to be faithful with this life on earth. If you want to be trusted with much, you need to be trusted with a little. Today, giving and generosity is part of my spiritual discipline, not because I've got a gift of giving. Yolande has that gift. She will give us stuff, everything we own away. I'm not like that. Although my Dutch heritage is like a couple of thousand years almost <laughs> like separated from me. It's like I'm still a little bit Dutch. But um, I can give. Because when I was little, every time my dad would give us pocket money, it would be first we take off our 10% that will go to the church. And because I was faithful with the one dollar, today I can be faithful with thousands of dollars. And if you cannot be faithful with the thousands of dollars, you will not be faithful with the millions of dollars. If you cannot be faithful with one child that God has entrusted to you, how can you be faithful with more? If we cannot be faithful with this life that is entrusted to us, how can we expect eternity with Him? You see, stewardship helps us, biblical stewardship, to be equally faithful with the little and the much. 
It helps us to not always covet more, but to say, God, what have you entrusted at this moment in time? What skills do I have? What talents do I have? What time do I have? What money do I have and how do you want me to faithfully use this? And I want to tell you, if you're sitting here today or if you're listening to this and you're trying to figure out what your life purpose is, especially maybe if you're in school and you're like, I don't know what to do. Like, Don't sit back and wait till God has revealed something to you, but be faithful in this moment because your calling for this moment is in this moment can't be trusted with much if you're not faithful in the little. But the last thing that we read about is in verse 13, another very famous scripture where Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And that word that we translate as money is actually mammon, and that is like money and stuff. It's more than just what, like physical money. It is earthly wealth and riches, and it can be your house, your car, anything. But when we read that, when we read that we cannot serve two, money, two masters, we cannot serve both God and money, again, is it about money? No, it's not about money at all. It is about the lordship of Jesus in our lives. See, Jesus knew that the biggest competitor for our lives will be money and stuff. If you think that's not true, we work really, really hard to gather more money and stuff, right? We spend our lives on that. So Jesus knew that would be the biggest competitor for our life because money gives us a false sense of security, gives us a false sense of provision, gives us a false sense of hope for the future. And then something happens like 2008, and in the moment I lose all of the security that I build on money, and I'm like, oh, it's not as permanent as I thought it was. Or suddenly I get sick and my money's worth nothing. There's, by the way, a parable in the Bible about a man who thought his money would give him a bright future and then God took his life away an instant. The only way mammon can be put in its proper place is to make sure that God alone is the Lord and Master of our hearts. And I think one of the easiest ways for us to measure if Jesus is truly on the throne of our life is by seeing if I am a steward in God's service. But if I'm not using every resource that he has given me, whether it is money, a house, a car, creativity, intelligence, talents and gifts, if I'm not using everything in his service, then he might not be the Lord of my life. Stewardship places God on the throne of our lives and releases the hold that stuff has on you. The Pharisees sneered at Jesus when he told them, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, come on, Louis. Like really, I have to live as if everything I have is not mine, but I'm just a manager of it? Like that's a ridiculous statement. The Pharisees thought the same thing. They sneered at Jesus, and you know why? Because Jesus looks at them, and he knew their heart, he says, and he takes them out on it. He knew where their heart were, and he knew that it was their love for money and for power that took their first love away from God. So make sure you don't value the wrong things.
And if this still sounds ridiculous to you, you've got a choice to either build your life on stuff, or you've got a choice to build it on Jesus. But stuff will disappoint you time and time again. And maybe you're watching this today because time and time again you've been disappointed, you've been let down by stuff. Jesus will not let us down. He will not let us go. So whose is it anyway? It's his, it's not mine. And that's the first hard change we need to make if we want to work with our money and our stuff and our time, our talents, our treasure in a different way. It's to realize that everything I have, everything I am is a gift from God. And I am entrusted to be a careful and responsible steward of it all. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you look straight at the heart. You're not fooled by outward appearance or actions, but you look at the hearts of the matter. And I thank you today for a parable like this that is so challenging because it often goes, it often is exactly the opposite of how I want to live. But I pray today for every person who's been disappointed, disappointed by power and wealth and money and stuff in this life. Every person who's been let down by it. And I pray that you will replace everything in our life that we've given lordship over our life. I pray, Jesus, that you will be number one and that in you, that we will be faithful in the little and that in you we will receive much hope, much love, much peace, much hope for eternity that will be much better than what we have in this life. I pray it in your name. Amen.